This is Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers by writers and readers. Hello and welcome to Dissecting Dragons. I'm Madeleine Vaughan. And I'm Jules Ironside. This week, getting your house in order. 15 things writers shouldn't do and 5 things they should. I'm really glad we have the uh, the kind of the subtitle there because otherwise people might log in and be like, oh, they're going to tell us how to, you know. <laughs> this is not this is not about housework, yeah, guys. This is, this is not about DIY life hacks. That is <laughs> outside our remit. Um, <laughs> um, and obviously, we don't really like to give prescriptive writing advice. So this is really an episode about practicalities. Yes. So there are things around that around writing and publishing, particularly. Um, that you kind of do need to be aware of and either do or not do um, but this is not to tell you how to write if, if you see what I mean yeah now we've done we've well we've we've gone pretty hardcore um, recently on some writing and folklore type topics uh, which have involved a lot more research and obviously um, we love all of that but this week we did want to do a sort of a more organic episode of do's and don'ts so it's going to be a, a little bit lighter. It's going to be easier listening, hopefully. Um, and also, hopefully, it's going to be nice and enjoyable. Yes. Then we'll get back uh, to the fairies next week. We'll get back to the fairies next week. Well, we can't promise that, actually. But, you know, we'll <laughs> get back to something else. Um, so, yeah, if you're looking to make a living from writing or to be published in general, this episode is for you. And it's as relevant to indie authors as it is to traditionally published authors and hybrid authors and everybody else. Yes. Um, we've got a rough list and we're just going to go point by point and discuss them, hopefully without overrunning by about four hours like we often do. <laughs> and for that, we apologise. We apologise, yes. So, shall we... I feel like we should start off with the don'ts. Yeah, let's start off with the don'ts. Um, some of these, you know, don't assume... Don't, don't, sorry, this is a bonus don't, if you like. Don't... Just because we're talking about don'ts, this isn't necessarily a negative thing. Some of these things are potentially negative, but some of them are just kind of, like, slightly more positive. Anyway, you'll see what we mean. Yeah. So, um, I'm going to sort of start us off... Uh, with one that I think is, I think it's an excellent place to start off, which is don't assume there is only one path or believe anyone who says they've discovered the right way. There are many ways into being, pu into being a published writer and have to, um, and each of them have to do with what works for you and also what works for your book. Yeah, absolutely. This is a really big one. Um, and we've obviously touched on it before, but it's definitely worth looking at again. I keep seeing things on, say, Twitter and various blog posts and things about how you must do things in a certain way. And to be honest, anyone who says you must do something in a certain way when it comes to publishing your book, whether you must go traditional or whether it has no value, you must mm -hmm. indie publish because the traditional publishing industry is basically morally bankrupt or what have you. Yeah. That anyone who gives you any anything, that, any scenario that is just that black and white is wrong. Yeah. Um, everything, you know, and even if you're working within the same genre as someone else who's giving the advice, that doesn't necessarily mean it's right for you or it's right for your book. Um, and there are lots and lots of different options and each of them are valid. That's the really important thing. They all have... They, they all have their pros, they all have their cons, um, 
but none of them are inherently better or worse than the others. The only one we would say is uh, beware of vanity publishers. Yes. Basically, if anyone is asking you for money up front to publish your book, then they are not a legitimate publishing option. Yeah. Now, this is very different from literary services who will do things like, yeah, we'll pay you can pay us to do editing um, or we'll you know you can buy a package which and we'll get everything up and running for you there are services like that that is different to a vanity publisher a vanity publisher is someone who basically puts themselves forward like they are a publisher but they say you will need to pay us x a few thousand pounds and we will publish your book um that is be very wary of that yeah absolutely I would also say beware of packaging services where it's not just packaging in terms of we'll sort you out a cover and some basic marketing and your editing, etc. And they say they will actually publish the book. Look at that contract very, very carefully because there are packaging services out there who are basically using it as a way to grab rights. Yeah. And it definitely, I mean, there's, it's rarer in that format now, but they are basically a different type of vanity publishing yes. service so whatever you do always really really read your, your contract and then pass it over to the society of authors or whatever your country's equivalent is and get them to read it too yeah um and this is one of the other things is is talk to other people talk to lots of other people who are doing the same thing as you get their advice look on writer forums read up again about any publisher any agent any package, um, you know, any service ahead of sort of tying yourself to it. Just be aware of what you're doing, essentially. Yeah, definitely. But, you know, uh, this is all kind of part of this this larger, you know, don't assume there's only one right path. And we've obviously just said, you know, beware of vanity publishing, because money should always flow from the publisher to the writer. It shouldn't go the other way around. Yeah. That's usually the dead giveaway. But there are there are things like predator, predators and editors, which you can check for mm-hmm. anyone who, you know, writers do talk amongst themselves and quite a lot of them flag these places that are, are really dicey. Yeah. There's also absolute right, the water cooler, which talks about dicey publishing houses mm-hmm. and um, vanity press services, etc. So it's always worth doing your due diligence. You do not want to find yourself locked into a contract where you literally have to give this dicey publishing house your next book because you didn't think about the right of first refusal, for example. Yeah. Um, now, contract law is something that is way, way too big for us to get into this week. But if there's enough demand, maybe we'll consider it in future. Yeah, absolutely. So with that in mind, uh, let's sort of dive into some of the other don'ts. Yeah. Okay, so don't try to write like anyone except yourself. I think this is more aimed at sort of more newbie writers, but I think there there are times when you are published and you think my work is selling, but it's not just it's just not selling as well as you know X Y Z author hmm. who seems to be more popular. Maybe if I wrote more like that person, I would sell more. I'd get a bigger readership, and the reality is that that really doesn't necessarily have a lot to do with it that author has just managed to hit a niche which was underserved or they had slightly better marketing or whatever so the best thing to do is write the next thing that's very much yours and in your voice because your voice is unique now there is something to be said about how you know uh, 
sort of learning from the masters. So if there is something of a style, something like that, that you like within a book that you want to learn from, studying it that way, that's a that's a different kind of thing. That's learning from other people. Um, that's a very basic and in, integral part of finding your own voice. Um, but there is a difference between learning from and uh, appreciating and sort of figuring out styles um, and trying to copy something for the sake of, of basically of what you think is going to be popular next. Um, because the biggest problem I think with just trying to copy another author's kind of writing um, is that you are not really likely to enjoy it. It's not sustainable um, and it does not guarantee success. Yeah, uh, I mean, if you want an... I, I found it very difficult to get any amount of writing completed when I first started writing quite a long time ago now mm. because I thought that I had to be literary. And because I had this conviction that I had to be literary when I was 20 and trying to get you know, a decent number of words out. Um, I actually wrote more when I was 12, 13 than I managed when I was 20, just because I had this sort of, you must write literary fiction. Mm. Um, that's the only thing that's really valuable. And it's not that I don't enjoy some literary fiction, but I don't enjoy writing it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not me. I'm not a literary writer and that's okay. And the minute I sort of acknowledged that, I was able to get out of my own way long enough to write an actual book. Yeah. And it's something that uh, I think, <laughs> weirdly enough, it's something that a lot of fan fiction writers have had, um, people or, or people who are writing adaptations of any kind, um, is that you learn a great deal by trying to mimic the style of a previous writer. But if if I was trying to write in the style of, I don't know, um, Arthur Conan Doyle nowadays, um, people would probably actually get pretty bored and it probably wouldn't come across very well at all. Yeah. I mean, everything has its market and, it, and its time, doesn't it? Exactly. And time is the big thing. <laughs> Emulate not the, <laughs> the writing of a previous era. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a lot to be said for stealing like an artist, as in, I like that, how can I use it? Yes. But not in... I like that. How can I sound exactly like that person? Well, you can't. It's like if you were doing an impression of somebody because you thought their voice sounded better than yours. Eventually, you are going to strain your vocal cords. Yeah. I mean, the way I look at it is that writing is a little bit like you're building, you know, like architecture. You can look at someone else's building and be like, oh, wow, I love the way they've done their kitchen. Or, wow, I love I love the archers. I love X, Y, Z. And you can go, right, I'm going to use a similar style. I'm going to take, I see what they did there with the archers. I want archers on my cathedral. Or I want, I want you know, a granite worktop in, in my kitchen or, or something like that. Um, but it starts to get a bit creepy if you just... <laughs> Just try and will yeah, also like to be very unsuccessful <laughs> if you try and copy everything. Don't single white female another author's book, okay? <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's definitely one way of putting it. 
Okay. Um, so next is don't get wed to ideas or too caught up in debates. Um, so for example, plotting versus pantsing, show versus tell. Um, it's far better to experiment and find what works. Now, this is a really interesting one uh, for me is because there are several layers to this. Um, I am very much of the, and something I, I will often tell my students is, you know, you're showing too much, you're not telling. Sorry, you're, you're, well, no, that's the wrong way around. <laughs> Sorry, I'm being well, no, so it can be the right way around sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, in that you're telling too much, uh, you're not showing. But you can also have the opposite, where actually uh, for the scene, um, you could probably just tell that and it would be simpler and quicker. Um, and all writing should have a decent mixture of both. But different styles, different formats, different genres and different moments in the book are going to call for more or less at any given time. So um, you cannot compare your writing necessarily to another person's writing, particularly if they're not working in the same genre, the same style, etc. as you. Yeah, I mean, the, the important thing is to not get so married to an idea that A, you can't adjust, or B, that you just spend all your time arguing that your, your point of view is correct against someone else who holds a different point of view. That's just wasting time you could be using to write. Yeah. Um, and also, you'll end up kind of being a bit paralysed. Yeah, eventually you'll you'll get so locked into it you won't be able to go any further. Yeah, um, and you might also just find yourself feeling like I just don't know what the right way to do things are now. You're feeling sort of lost and, and then kind of getting a bit hopeless. Um, and that's why it's important to kind of keep an open mind. Um, but, you know, I just don't... Don't let anybody tell you there's only one absolute way of doing things. Yeah, absolutely. And don't it's... start to believe that yourself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, the next one. Don't. This is one where, you know, if I could, I would, you know, very gently and, and with great good intention, go round with Timmy Mallet's Mallet's Mallet, the big rubber hammer that they used in Mallet's Mallet in kids' shows during the 90s, <laughs> and bop every writer who hasn't quite got this on the head. Um, just because this is really important. Don't pin everything on one book. Yeah. If you decide to decide on a traditional path, you should be focused on writing the next thing while you're querying, because otherwise all you're doing is sitting there worrying about it and trying to exact control over something you have no control over. If you're indie publishing, you should be working on your next book whilst marketing your first book, assuming you haven't already written more books, etc. You should be doing these things because it will keep you sane and it will stop you falling out of love with writing. Yes. The other and it, oh, go on. The, the other thing I would say is if it's your first book that you're querying, literally your first written book, um, maybe it won't get picked up, but the next one might do. Or someone might say, well, I see flashes of things I like there, but I'm not sure I want to represent you yet, but send me your next thing. Um, that's actually a really encouraging response. So... Don't be like, well, it's taken me 12 years to write one book and, you know, this is it. This is all I've got in me. Uh, There there are examples of mostly literary fiction doing that and that book being tremendously successful. But it's quite rare. 
most people do not submit their first book, get it published, and then never write another thing and just live off that one book. Yeah, it's very, very rare. The other thing to recognise, of course, is particularly if you're going down a traditional route, uh, but, you know, and you're thinking, right, I actually want to sort of be a writer, um, is that you are, when you're selling yourself to an agent uh, or a publisher, you're selling yourself... You, the the book is the product but you are selling yourself sounds wrong um but you are ultimately the thing that they're investing in um, yes they're investing as you as a writer not just in a book so and the, one thing one that of... can actually make a big difference when you're querying is to say yes i do have other ideas um because you might very well they might very well say yes we want this book and we want another from you what else have you got you know so having at least an idea um, or the first chapter of something new it it puts you in better standing of all the authors i know who have agents um all of those agents have asked the authors when they've met up what's your next book about and what else have you got ideas for and quite often a, these agents have asked to read the next book assuming that book has already been written because they're trying to build a career around you and they're trying to help build your career they don't really want to invest in one single book that there's not a lot of money in that really yeah so they are a business as well it doesn't mean they won't help you and they can't be lovely people yeah most of them are um but yeah it you know if you've written a book you're going traditional it's being published great you're going to need another book if you're writing indie and indie publishing great it's selling well you're going to need another book that, that's always the answer you're going to need another book at some point mm, yeah absolutely um so yeah and, and i think as you said men just in terms of your mental health if you also put all of your esteem and your kind of value as a writer into one book um you can get really downhearted because yeah. uh the fact of the matter is is that getting particularly if you're going down the traditioning traditional route getting published is hard and selling a book if you're going down the indie route is also hard um and if it doesn't do well for whatever reason which might actually be nothing to do with the quality of the book and everything to do with the time the marketing um just just pure luck sometimes um you know you can start getting really down on yourself and it's really important to recognize that it, that it's just one thing that you have created but it's a step on a staircase and you've got to keep climbing that yeah you are not your book no. ultimately what you ultimately want is to be f a few books down look back at your first book and be like oh <laughs> sort of like oh well i really like that story at the time but i would so write it i mean i i feel like that a lot yes. lately because yeah yeah. I won't go off on a tangent, but I'm like, yeah, I'm spending a lot of time in that particular row. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I feel the same thing. Um, and that's kind of what you want to feel. You want to be progressing in that way. So, yeah. Okay. Um, so this is going to sound like a really obvious one. Uh, but you'd think it was really obvious but there are so many people yeah. um, so don't be dishonest hostile, rude or overly political online the publishing industry is small 
Now, there are people out there who you might ask, okay, but what does it mean to be overly political? What does it mean to be hostile? What does it mean to be rude? Um, ultimately, we cannot judge where the line is, but you have to be conscious of the fact that whenever you're you do, posting something online, you are publishing it. Um, and therefore other people who you want to sort of represent you, um, other people who you want to buy your products from, um, you know, they're going to look at your publishing history and your publishing history is what you've published online. Um, and particularly if you're rude, if you call people out, um, you know, t posting something on Twitter isn't posting things among friends. It isn't just griping, you know, at the pub or anything like that. It is publishing something publicly. Um, and yeah, the world can see the, it. The whole world can see it. Um, and it, you know, that can actually have an effect on your career for the very simple fact that people might just go, well, actually, I don't really want to work with this person. Yeah. And I have to say, uh, there's a professional authors group I'm part of, and every so often uh, a new batch of applicants comes around. And one of the first things we do is we go through their Twitter to see what sort of person they are, because if there are red flags on their Twitter threads, then we'll say no, thank you. Yeah. Because we don't want troublemakers in the group. We want people who are um, keen on writing and publishing and sharing ideas. We don't want somebody. We, we've actually turned down a couple of people who, you know, seem like nice enough people, but get very shrill when they're talking about political issues. And there's obviously a vast diversity of opinions, ages, um, backgrounds, ethnicities within this group. Mm. So we don't want somebody who can't ever listen to the other perspective either. Yeah. We're not interested. Yeah. So I have to say, yes, obviously the overly political thing is a bit of a bugbear for me, but I will say that I don't tend to share political opinions online. The place I get the most political in anything is on this podcast and generally I try and do it in a way which means that I am looking at other perspectives as well as mine Yeah. and I will say that the benefit of a podcast is that you can get you can infer more from somebody's tone and the way they're talking um, it's, it's, it's not like trying to cram an, an intense nuanced political idea into what a 55 character tweet that has no nuance because there's there's no body language there's no tone there's you yeah. know there's, there's there's no voice there's no person attached to it yeah absolutely so, so i would say just don't do it unless your brand is to be very very political and then be very careful how you do it yeah because all right so bear in mind of course depending on what you're writing political might actually be you know a part of your brand um and uh again we're also saying what is it to be political you might say but this is not a political issue issue this is a humanitarian issue we're not saying what you can and can't post we're saying be conscious of the consequences of that and i also feel it's really important to say that you um despite what some people say you are not morally depraved or wrong if you choose not to use social media to post about certain things um yeah you can support minority groups you can be donating to charities you can be doing all sorts of things you can be attending debates rallies etc in person and not 
you don't, shouldn't have to feel pressured into writing or posting any of that online. You are not a bad person if you choose to stay silent on these subjects. Not least because it's very draining emotionally and mentally. So bear that in mind. Yeah. Um, obviously taking Twitter as an example, but most social media outlets have this function. You can mute threads you can mute topics mm -hmm. um so basically turn turn your your regular thread your regular dash etc into something you actually enjoy spending time with particularly if it's a marketing outlet for you yes um so mute anything you know you might have an opinion on something but i would say engage with that in in the proper forum and sometimes the proper forum is not online in fact nine times out of ten the proper forum is probably not online yeah and certainly, um, I just don't think... Twitter, I just don't think, is a good platform to be, for debate. No, I don't either. Um, and I think the whole sort of being dishonest, hostile, rude and things, a lot of that comes from people firing off tweets in anger Yeah. over something someone else has said. Um, the, the dishonest thing is worrying, but basically don't lie to get, don't lie to get into an agent's good graces because when they find out you've lied, then, then your name is mud. Yeah. And it's not just mud with one agent, it is mud across the industry. Yeah, the agents, they, 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 they all talk. know each other. <laughs> they all know each other. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and the, obviously fact check as well. Don't be like the author who assumed that titles were copyright and that some other white author who had who was very well known and very prolific had stolen her title even though she would have had to have submitted the title with the book a year and a half prior to this other author's first book ever being published you know don't make yourself look like a complete fucking idiot <laughs> try not to anyway i mean we're all going to look like idiots at some point because yeah. And if, look, and if you make a mistake, you make a mistake. The best thing you can be is honest and apologetic um, and, and learn from it. Um, I'm not saying that if you make one mistake, that's it. It's your, that's you over. I, th I think that there are lots of situations where if people actually show genuine, you know, remorse and understanding for what they've done, the world can be forgiving. But, you know, it's just worth thinking about. Yeah. Okay, um, don't hold grudges for the feedback you get. Now, this feedback might be from your alpha reader, your beta readers. It might be from, uh, God forbid, friends and family. It might be from your actual readers after a book is published. And guess what? Maybe it doesn't land with a certain number of people. And you might even find, horror of horrors, that the first few reviews you get are negative. Yeah. Um, it's up to you, when, I mean, in the review situation, it's up to you whether you read the reviews or not. I would normally say, just don't, if you don't feel, if you think it's going to make you angry or upset, don't read them. Try not to. It's really hard, but try not to. And I would also say, um, what I personally do with reviews is I read the first dozen or so, um, just to check that I'm hitting my target audience, because if not, I either need to adjust my marketing or my writing. So it's actually a business practice for me. And then after that, I don't tend to read much more because those reviews are really for other readers. They're not really for me. They're not for my benefit. Mm. But it's taken a lot of practice to get to that mindset. Yeah. Um, when it comes to your beta readers, well, beta readers come in many flavours. Some of them really get your work. Some of them don't. 
and some of them just don't like a certain project and they really want you to go in another direction. So, you know, you've asked them for feedback, they've given you feedback, they've been generous with their time. You thank them for it, even if you don't agree with their feedback. Um, and a note to beta readers, you've been asked to read somebody else's work. Thanks, that's great, you're a wonderful person. If you then harass that person because they disagree with you on a change that you think they should make, you're kind of an asshole. Yeah. Uh, the important thing to recognise as a beta reader is that you are only there to make suggestions. You have yeah. to respect the author's vision, regardless. Um, and authors, there is no point sending something to a beta reader and then being upset when they make suggestions for changes. Yeah. It's all part of the accept, adapt, reject mindset mm -hmm. some people will say something and you'll go oh my god how did i not see that before like madeline and the feet thing that sounded really bad that there was a feet awful what the there hell? was a scene <laughs> there was a scene in the wrong place in hark and blackthorn book eight and madeline said it just doesn't fit here and when she said it i could finally step back and go oh yeah it doesn't really fit there at all does it yes um that that's kind of what i mean <laughs> <laughs> You're going to make me out to be something weird here, John. <laughs> yeah, that came out really badly. I'm very sorry. <laughs> but there are also beta readers who, like, you say, this is a book about dragons and dragon riders, and they return you this huge feedback about how you should make your book about spaceships. And you're like, that's not what I was writing about, but thank you. <laughs> yeah, honestly. At that point, they're just wasting their own time, so, you know, that's on them. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> but they might not be the best beta read of you. No, definitely. Uh, so, okay, next one is uh, don't fall for the spiteful comments of online trolls. Yeah, this is really hard, but think about the sort of person, the sort of person who is, you know, probably a borderline psychopath of some kind, who gets their kicks out of writing something so infuriating that you just rage that what they're hoping for is you to lose your temper and look stupid and maybe cry. And I cringe every time I see somebody post something somewhere online saying, this person said this to me, and then they kept saying it whenever I replied, they, they just rephrased it. I mean, the really good trolls are ones who don't swear, who don't just call you names, who manage to poke at the bits you feel a bit insecure about. Mm. And they keep going and they keep going. And whenever I see an author uh, write something about how much this hurts them, I'm like, you're not reasoning with people who care about your feelings. You're trying to reason with people who are enjoying you feeling bad about something they've said. Yeah. The only way you can get ahead with those sort of people and those sort of comments, don't reply. Don't give them any reaction. Yeah. And it is hard. It is hard, but just walk away. Yeah. I mean, I've had a few of them. Um, they usually turn up on Twitter because Twitter's kind of a dumpster fire. And it is just a case of, hmm, okay, interesting comment. I'll admit to myself personally, I feel quite annoyed now. But you know what? I'll annoy them a hell of a lot more if I just don't respond to them and choke the oxygen out of this one. So that's what I tend to do. Yeah. And to be honest, a good thing to do is if someone does that, is send, is send that message to a friend and then you can argue and bitch about it together instead. Yeah, that's a good way privately. of getting the catharsis. Jules and I do that. <laughs> We do that. I think I had a little sort of like, oh, when, when Slice of Death came out, I was like, for God. I was like, literally, it'd been out five minutes. And I was like, Madeline, somebody's one starred it. And I'm pretty sure this is someone who goes around one starring books that have LGBTQ rep in them. And I'm slightly irritated. Yeah. And we just, 
So it was like the first one right. review out the gate. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, I think I was almost angrier than you were. Because <laughs> you're I'm like, someone like, oh. wants starter. And I was like, how dare! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, quite often you're more angry for your friend than you are for yourself. <laughs> but that's very cathartic. Um... It is very cathartic, but you have a really good bitch and then you, you finally, like, you, you talk about the sort of probable morals and lifestyle. You know, they're obviously a basement dweller and their <laughs> probable destination in the afterlife. And then you feel a lot better. <laughs> <sighs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Don't compromise on the basics, so spelling, punctuation, and grammar. Or I'm spag. Sorry, there is spag. There, there is no... Yeah, spag. There is absolutely... <laughs> you must have called it spag. Don't... Even I call it spag. Sorry. And I'm Don't not a teacher. Don't compromise on spag. <laughs> Don't compromise on spag. No, seriously, though, there is no excuse to fire off something that is badly spelt, punctuated, and with poor grammar. Uh, because you should have had at least one other set of eyes other than yours on something if you're indie publishing it or if you're sending it off to an agent um yeah that everybody makes mistakes i i have difficulty herding commas okay i've got better at it but i swear the little buggers just troop off the page when i'm not looking <laughs> there's sort of like a comma entropy going on there somewhere there is a comma black hole and they, they sort of lemming like leap to the edge of it and dive into the void <laughs> Um, straight into everyone, my work <laughs> straight into your work Madeline has too many commas so something happens there <laughs> <laughs> but basically practice there's books on spelling punctuation and grammar and some at a certain point it becomes a matter of opinion it really does um, but just getting the basics down and practicing the basics and bothering to proofread there's proofreading programs there's one attached to word there's one attached to scrivener there's really no excuse for not having the basics sort of covered. Yeah. And if you're like me and you really struggle with these kind of... Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Good. I'm even struggling with speaking now. If you're like me and you really struggle with some of these basic kind of things, which is fairly normal and there are lots of people who are neurodivergent and dyslexic or who just really struggle with spelling and grammar and stuff like that, you have got to give yourself that extra time be aware of the of your weaknesses um don't use it as an excuse to just say well i have that therefore i don't need to worry about it no you do if you want to be a writer you need to that involves all of the parts of writing so if you're weak in that area give yourself that extra time use things like grammarly use things you know like editing software and if you have a good friend, another writer friend, particularly if they're particularly good at that kind of stuff, swap work with them. <laughs> yeah, get them to watch out for things. Get, get them to look out for things. Um, offer to do the same in return. Use tricks of the trade, such as changing the font, printing it out, reading it out loud, you know, but make sure that you actually do it. It will make a big difference. And it could be the difference between you having a successful career or not. Yeah, absolutely. Most readers are very forgiving about the odd spelling mistake, the odd typo, the odd bit of erratic punctuation. But if it happens so often that they got knocked out of the story, then, you know, stars are coming off your rating the more you do it. Mm -hmm. And I know, because I, I have... I've had difficulty with that. 
and I've had to face the consequences of that. So, <sighs> but you live and learn. You live and learn. Anyway, our next one. Don't trend chase. Yeah, this is one where I think it's worth um, defining that trend chasing and writing to market are actually two different things. Yes. So we'll talk about writing to market in a moment, but trend chasing is basically kind of like vampires are in at the moment. I want to go down a traditional publishing route and I'm going to write about vampires because vampires are in. It might take you two years to write a book. Yeah, but even if you write a book very, very quickly... Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that actually publishers are going to uh, are even going to be taking it by yeah. the time that you submit. It's let's a long assume, process. <laughs> yeah, let's assume that you manage to write a book in a year and you manage to get an agent in six months, which is incredibly fast, by the way. Mm-hmm. And then let's assume that a publishing house takes it straight out of the gate. So you're cutting down all these extra six months of time. It's probably still going to be two years before that book hits the shelves. Yeah, it's that long. That's how long it takes. Yeah. So. If you just go, oh, vampires are in right now, I want to write va- vampires, um, you might, I mean, if you're writing to a specific market, that's different, but tra- chasing a trend within, tradi- uh, within traditional publishing, <laughs> um, you, the trend is probably going to have passed by the time you get there with your book. Yeah, that way lies madness. Yeah. Um, now, it's very different to there being a trend and you actually really enjoying that trend and wanting to write that book. And you're just kind of, I mean, to be honest, if you think vampires are really in right now and you've written six books about vampires that no one would pick up before, now is the time to dust off your folder, you know, polish them up a little bit and try and get yourself out there. Yeah, absolutely. And if you happen to be like, oh gosh, I really love this new trend. I want to try and write in it. There's nothing wrong with that because even when trends pass, a good book will be a good book and will be taken. And sometimes it won't be, even if it is a good book. But then there is, you know, that's that's traditional publishing. Um, so you should write what you enjoy writing. Don't try and chase trends because you think that is what people want. Um, because actually, even before we get to the chances of it actually being published, what are the chances of you actually finishing it? Yeah, exactly. Okay, so don't act on jealousy over another writer's success. There's that famous quote, isn't there? Sort of every time a friend succeeds, part of me dies. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that's funny and kind of wryly honest to a certain extent. And there will always be times when you think, I don't understand. This person has seen or seems to have put in less work than I have, and yet they have they're having a lot more success. Mm. Um, now one of the variety of things are happening either they're you're, you're basically seeing the swan and yet under the water their little feet are paddling away like mad to keep to propel them across the lake mm-hmm. or uh, so so you're wrong and they're actually working really bloody hard or they happen to be in the right place at the right time with the right book under the right moon phase and they sacrifice the right goat the god of literacy you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah and sometimes it is luck Sometimes there is a there is a measure of luck if certainly if you're going down the traditional path or yeah. you know hitting the right market at the right time indie publishing. But the worst thing, and this is something that sometimes in the past there's been instances where industry professionals have kind of encouraged this to a certain degree uh, because they don't want authors talking. The worst thing is to alienate yourself from other creatives, particularly if they're your friends, because they are some of the most valuable kind of resources and connections 
that you can have as a writer is other writers. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, so uh, you both enter, you and a friend both enter the same writing competition. You don't even place, your friend wins the £5,000 or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't take much, no matter how you feel, to screw up something and say to them, congratulations. Yeah. Even if you genuinely think their story wasn't as good, you can say, congratulations, I'm happy for you winning. And try and mean it, you know? Yeah. And it's possible to be sad about not winning whilst also being happy for someone else to do it. These things can work in tandem. And it's possible to kind of go, I want what you have, without it being, you don't deserve what you have. um, Yeah. Or... And and this is the other thing is that you when it comes to other writers for the most part unless you're actually literally part of a competition you're not actually in competition you yeah. are working together yeah absolutely professional jealousy is a really really ugly thing and it's not a nice thing to be on the receiving end of I can tell you that <laughs> no it, um, it's not and again we're not it is very understandable to kind of feel miserable if you feel like everyone else is succeeding when you are not that is very understandable that's very relatable but you need to sort of catch yourself if you start kind of allowing that to kind of um become anger and you know sort of an undesirable emotion with regards to uh, other people yeah Absolutely. So yeah, you can say congratulations, I'm happy for you. If they're a really good friend, you might be even able to say, kind of wish it was me, but I'm glad it was you. Yeah. But don't keep saying, I wish it was me, to the point where they start thinking, oh, you're not happy for me at all, you know? <laughs> yeah. This this shouldn't be that difficult, and yet it does seem to... I think because writing becomes so much a part of somebody's identity that they kind of feel that they are fit personally, as a person, being attacked. Yeah, and that is not one succeeding. of the issues, yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, oh, sorry, it's uh, your turn. It's Please turn. go. It's my turn. <laughs> so this is a really big don't, and this is one that I kind of actually want to shout at lots of other people when I meet them, which is, don't assume it's easy. <laughs> Oh, my God. Yeah, it's like, I I love the, oh, I'd love to write a book. I just don't have the time. I'm like, neither do I. I just fit it in around my full-time job and running a household and exercising and doing all of this other shit you have to do just to live. But I feel like, so Jules, I I should tell you, sometimes I talk about you with my, about, about you to my students Ah, um, that's why my ears are burning yeah <laughs> yeah constantly um and uh you know i say oh you know so i'll talk about you and, and i'll say you know how you're able to sort of write books and 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 how quickly you're able to write books and i remember being like oh yeah and so she wrote she wrote like two books within four months and and they were like okay yeah but she you know she she writes full time and i went no <laughs> no she doesn't <laughs> she does this that and the other and i could just see them sort of looking (laughs) looking at me like well we don't like her now (laughs) no but in all seriousness um writing a book takes a lot of time and it's going to take different people different amounts of time um and write you know some people might actually spend a lot of their time 
just thinking about it and then sit down and be able to get it all out in one go. Some people take a lot of time to just get it out in drips and drabs. Some people take a lot of time in terms of editing. It is a big, monumentous um, process, (laughs) regardless. Yeah, absolutely. It's not... I mean, when you hold a book, you're holding the finished product and it's passed through many, many hands, no matter whether it's indie or, you know, it, it, people have gone through it or should have gone through it many times. So it looks easy. That's the point. It's kind of like ballet. Mm. You know, you watch ballet and it's like, oh, it's so graceful. It, it looks so effortless. It's like, no, they've been in pain for hours and hours and hours. You are seeing the finished result of hours and hours of practice and injuries and you know just learning how to make your body move in a certain way so it looks so fluid almost like you know gossamer yeah and it's the same with writing if someone hands you a book you are seeing the end result you're not seeing the struggle that took place beforehand yeah absolutely (laughs) okay um don't forget to read or watch or create you need to refill the well a great book is a great teacher. So, I mean, you could say the same about a great film. You could say the same about a bad film, to mm-hmm. be honest, because it might teach you what you don't want to do. Yes. Um, and also, I mean, you're a creative. You and, and that involves kind of allowing things to tickle you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you don't consume other people's art, then you're not going to have anything to create from you know we we don't generally make something out of nothing i know it looks like we do because we're writing it's kind of like oh where did this idea from i don't know and yeah basically you're shoving all this stuff in your subconscious and it's all being mashed together and ultimately you then pull fine threads of it out and somehow you weave it into something that works mm-hmm. um but you can't do that if you if you're not shoving this stuff in there in the first place yeah absolutely <laughs> it, it's it's as Stephen King said, um, if you don't have time to read, you don't have time to write. Yeah. You don't have the tools to write yeah, either, I think exactly. he also said, didn't he? Yeah. Um, and it applies to, you know, whether you're reading physically, whether you're listening to audiobooks, whether you're listening to podcasts, whether you are uh, watching a show or a film or something like that, or going to the theatre, anything like that. Looking at art, listening to music, these things yeah. too, okay? Engaging with other, with other things. Okay. Don't give up. Yeah, it's a tough one. But I mean, I think there is a a point where I've known people who have given up writing for specific periods of time just because they got bogged down with the publishing and the writing side of it. And they just went, I I need to stop. I don't know if I'm going to pick it up again. And they've almost universally come back about four or five years later. Yeah, I, I'm, and I've known people who've actually said, actually, I just want to write for pleasure. It's just for myself, just for my friends. I don't want to go down the path of, of publishing because it's just too much for me. And I respect that. I yeah. totally respect that. Um, there have definitely been times when I've wanted to give up, when I've just thought, I can't do this anymore. I want to step away. Um, I'm not built for this life. Um, and at those moments rather than throwing everything out of the pram and just kind of you know just shutting down I just say okay what I actually probably need here is just a break and I need to remind myself 
of why I started doing the writing and why I enjoy writing and find the pleasure in it again. Um, but it is, it's a difficult road. At times it's an incredibly lonely road and it's a long one, you know. So give yourself time to stop, smell the flowers, really. <laughs> and just as a, you know, just for reference, at some point every writer has gone, maybe I'm just not any good. Yeah. You know, maybe I should give up because I'm not any good. Um, honestly, I felt like that. Yeah. And I'm okay. I'm not Stephen King or anything, but you know, <laughs> that there is the genuine sort of like, ah, oh, yeah, you're not very good. I can't write a book. I've genuinely sat down and thought, I can't write a book. This is after writing twenty five books. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> Jules is like, I, I just don't think this is any, and I'm like, Jules, stop. <laughs> Be logical. Be, Be logical. logical. <laughs> Channel your inner Spock. Yes. Um. <laughs> Having said that, don't be afraid to give up on a particular project. Not everything you write is destined for publication. Yes. Um, I have a folder full of really, really shit books. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Or, you know, novellas or whatever. I have, I have lots and lots of stories that I've started which, and lots of things that I've written which will never, ever see the light of day. And I have some which might actually become adapted into something for the future. Um, at no point, even on the stuff that I'm writing and I'm just writing it for pleasure, is that ever a waste of time? Just like you would never look at a person who was practicing the piano and say, you're wasting your time. Any kind of writing, regardless of whether it's published, regardless you know, of how much you put into it, is still actually you refining your art. And remember, you are more than a single project. So you can have worked on something, you can really love something, and you might have to let it go. And that doesn't mean that it was wasted time. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, our last don't. Uh, don't forget to get out and about. Physical exercise is essential to writing. Now there's lots of ways that you can do physical exercise. You might not be inclined to sort of running, jumping, hiking, um, but a walk through the park is a yeah. nice, go find a forest, you know, go swimming. Bas <laughs> yeah, basically don't be chained to your laptop and your desk and being indoors. It's important to get outside and to get away from what you're doing. And I will say walking, you know, at the very minimum, if you can manage it, manage it, try and manage a 30 minute walk every day. The reason for this, there is actually some, you know, some science behind this. Um, when your heart is beating, it's pumping blood around your body, yes, obviously. Hopefully. But you don't have a second heart that's pumping blood back from your body to your lungs, to your heart. So that comes, believe it or not, a lot of that comes from the pressure that is caused by your legs moving. So the big muscles in your legs when you walk actually helps this circulatory process. It pumps the blood back to your lungs, which then take on oxygen, which then goes to your heart. Your heart then supplies it to your brain. Literally going for a walk gets more oxygenated blood to your brain. It will make your brain work better so that when you come back from a walk, your writing, you might well find your writing's a little bit easier. Yeah. And one thing, I, you know, I really, really like doing is... Um particularly sort of when I'm in the middle of a project or I find that I'm really struggling with a certain scene is to leave the laptop, go for a walk, listen to some some soundtracks, some music, you know, anything and just 
walking helps me kind of figure out certain scenes or gives me inspiration or things like that. Um, and you can also give yourself writing tasks as you're walking and you can go to particular places which are going to inspire you as well. So for example, I like to walk a lot in the forest. So I look, walk in the woods a lot. It's very, very nice for me. But, you know, if you're, let's say you're in Winchester, uh, you might want to just go to the cemetery. Just go yeah. to the graveyard. Just walk around in there. It's a nice little walk. Um, you know, do a little unit a around, you know, with the river and stuff like that. Get to nature. Um, you know, go somewhere that's going to inspire you. Walk around as your character for a little bit, if you like. Though I should say, if you're walking around as your character and your character's like, I don't know, like a mercenary or something, maybe <laughs> don't immerse yourself in the character too much. That might be problematic. But yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you can do that. You can do a plane walk where you just try not to think about it. And you'll probably find that your subconscious has been working on stuff in the background while you're away. The other thing to consider is your health is worth looking after. Yes. Writers can get very focused on what they're doing and obsessive. And, you know, I'm as guilty of that as anyone else. Mm -hmm. Actually going out and smelling the roses, metaphorically speaking, or literally speaking, is really, really good for you. Look after your health. Um, the other thing to consider is the fact that as a you know as a species we're kind of sitting ourselves to death yes so it's really important to get up move around i mean if you're sat writing then try and get up for 10 minutes or five minutes in every hour and just move around stretch a little bit um try and make sure that you don't end up with the posture of a, a dead beetle which is what a lot of writers um, have to contend with it's really really bad for you so getting out walking Thinking about having your shoulders back and your spine relatively straight and relaxed is, you know, I can't stress how important all of that is yep. for your actual writing as well as your health. Yes. Okay. Uh, we do have a, a bonus. Don't. Yes. Um, Which is don't sign a contract you're not sure of. We mentioned this earlier, but if you're unsure of it, don't sign it. Yes. It's as simple as that. You can get advice. You can go privately and speak to a lawyer who specializes in contract law you can go through the society of authors or your country's equivalent uh, you can speak to other authors i've had a number of authors who i don't actually know personally but i know via social media kind of who've messaged me and said hey would you mind if i asked you a question and i'm always fine with it yeah um um, um, because I think one of the first things I did when I got offered a contract was ask someone who I knew had also had a contract Yeah. Um, to say, is this normal? Does this sound normal to you kind of thing? Yeah. So do that. Most most authors will be fine to say, yeah, that doesn't sound right to me or you should have society of authors check that over for you. Yeah, absolutely. And it is worth doing. And any in any situation where someone says sign the contract now or you don't have it, walk away. Yeah, Never walk away. ever sign a contract under duress. Um, any reputable, reliable service, agent or publisher will be fine with giving you time to read through the contract properly, get advice on it, etc. Yes. Okay, okay. five do's. <laughs> So, do number one, do write what you love. Write to market and write for a target audience. Yeah. So we've, we've definitely covered all of these things before. And, you know, we've already co covered the fact in this episode even 
that trend chasing is different from writing to market. Yeah. There's a basically what you love and what's what there's a market for and what your target audience wants. That's a Venn diagram with a lot of overlap. So find somewhere in that overlap where you really want to write and then write there. Yeah. It's always important to write what you love uh, because it's one of the key things that's going to actually make sure that you finish writing what you, you know, finish what you start. (laughs) Which definitely helps. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Do you read and consume a media broadly? Yes. Again, we've kind of already covered it, but it's worth emphasising. It's a good idea, so if you work within one sort of genre, it's obviously a good idea to sort of read within that genre, but don't limit yourself. Feel free to read, watch, and sort of look at other things beyond that too, because that can be really, really good in informing new ideas, uh, providing new strategies and approaches, and just generally engaging your brain. the more that you can kind of consume in that way, the greater, I think, your writing is going to be. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, do make friends. Yeah, we can't stress this enough. Yeah. Make Make other writer friends. Make other writer (laughs) friends. Um, Of course, this does not mean harass other writers. Friendship is a two-way street. Um, One thing that's particularly good is if you're starting out, Become friends with other people who are starting out in a similar position to you. Okay? Um, Connect with them. Work together with them. Build a community with them. Uh, Trust me, it is invaluable. It is, because as much as your your friends, your regular friends, your non-writing, your non-weird friends, um, and your family are supporting you about something, and your partner is supporting you in what you're writing or the fact that you want to write at all, you can't expect them to be absolute. They might be, but you can't expect them to be hanging on your every written word. They might just not be in your target audience. Maybe they don't really like reading. Maybe that's not the media they, they consume. Yeah. Um, and maybe what you love to write isn't, it just doesn't float their boat. So you don't want to have a situation where you desperately need someone to read something you've written and you're your long-suffering partner's kind of like, oh, well, well, I'll try. And really, they're not interested. They're maybe not analytical. They don't really want to be to read for you, but they don't feel they can say no. And you're feeling resentful because they're taking such a long time. Just don't make that problem for yourself. Yeah. Make friends with other writers. Yeah, seriously. Um, And be other writers' advocates. You know, when you're yeah. making friends with other writers, you should try and care about their work. You should try and engage with their work as well. Definitely. Okay, um, do get your house in order. So this is all the technical stuff. Like if you have, uh, you know, your will, your tax returns, if you get to the level, basically in the UK, if you make over a thousand pounds from writing a year, you need to be reporting that on your tax returns. And the way you do this is not by going, ah, well, I had to spend 350 pounds on writing related services, etc. Ergo, I've only made 650 quid. No, that doesn't work that way. If you make a thousand pounds or more, uh, you need to report it on your tax returns and then add what you have spent and they will do the deduction for you and tell you what you owe them. Yes. Okay. So don't fall into the trap. Um, also, your public lending rights. It's a, a fairly short but irritating form online. But even if you're an indie author, it's worth doing this because you never know when your book is going to end up in a library. 
libraries will get in what people ask them to get in as much as they can with their budgets. Mm -hmm. So even if you're an indie author, your book may end up in a library. Yeah. So it's absolutely, it doesn't take, it's like a short form for each of your books. You claim it, um, you need to do it the year the book is published and claim it. And then, you know, if your book ends up in a library, you get a certain amount for every time that book goes out. Yeah. That's passive income. That's money for old rope, basically. Yeah. So don't forget to do that. Um, when it comes to your will, I know this sounds really depressing, but let's say you were writing a series. It's 15 books long. You're discussing it with your bestie. Uh, not that I'm using a particular case here or anything. And something tragic happens. You're hit by a bus and you don't recover and you die and everyone's very sad and your readers are really infuriated because they're five books from the end and they're pretty damn sure something good was coming but you're dead now how dare you <laughs> this happens um now obviously there's a number of things to consider there but one is who do the rights now belong to mm. will your books remain in print so you need to think about who you are literally leaving your your rights to after you die who who's going to manage your estate you can also nominate another writer to finish your series if you happen to die midway through. Yeah. They can't promise it will be honoured, but in most cases it, it is because most writers are not married to other writers. They're married to people who are kind of like, well, she wrote, but I don't know what she wanted to do with that. So um, here's a folder full of notes. Can you finish the series? Yeah. And yeah, you know... Even if you're not making money off your writing now, you don't know that it's not going to take off six months after you die. So do you do you really want to deprive your family of that potential income? So this is all stuff you need to think about. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, our last do, do retain perspective. Yeah, this is one I have trouble with. I think because I get so immersed, I'm kind of like, well, it's obviously the end of the world. <laughs> this is where the walking comes in, because then you go for a walk and you're like, no, it's not. <laughs> you know, there's an entire world out here. It's completely unaffected by what's happening in this book at this moment in time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's perspective on several levels. There's perspective on terms of the book. There's perspective in terms of your value with relation to your work, etc. Um it's important every now and again to recognise that you are a writer, but that is only one part of you. And your book is an even smaller part of you. It is not all-consuming, um, and you cannot allow it to be. Even if it's consuming in a moment, it cannot be the consuming of your whole life. And that's why it's good to also be able to have some kind of separation there. Yeah, and if you find yourself getting a bit lost then set yourself some boundaries so I don't write after dinner in the evening mm. I used to let myself do it and what happened was I deprived myself of even more sleep which yeah. is not good um, so now it's a case of no I might make a few notes on something by hand but I don't I don't get my laptop out and start tapping away again because it's just not healthy I need that boundary I need that I'm done for the day yeah and um, bear in mind of course that everybody's going to have a different sort of thing so, for example, you might say, okay, um, I'm going to say there will be no writing between these times. Or you could say, actually, my boundary is that uh, I have to spend X amount of time outside or that if I find myself getting overwhelmed, then I put it away for a little bit. Or once I finished a book, 
I leave it for a few days. You know, there's lots of different ways of setting this and it's all going to be based on you and your life and what you need to get out of it. Um, so don't let anyone say this is how you should do it because that might actually be the wrong thing for you. But be honest with yourself about what you need. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, five, you know, we'll, we'll whip through these quite quick, but five things that writers are legally not allowed to do. Okay, mm -hmm. so first one, and this is one that comes up a lot. We are not allowed to read fan fiction of our work or we really shouldn't. Yeah. Um, this this basically is a copyright law infringement issue, or it potentially could be. Now, most of us are delighted when someone want, has engaged with our work to the extent that they want to write fan fiction. Yeah. And I won't say that we're not tempted, because I absolutely am. Yes. You know, we, we would like to know. Um, it would be great. But let's say someone decided to write fanfic of Harker and Blackthorn. I would be desperate to read that, but I wouldn't. For the simple reason of... What if that person managed somehow to write something that was going to happen in a later book? Yes. And I then write the book and they know I've read the fan fiction. Well, you can't you can't technically copyright ideas in fiction. But for it looks for one thing really really shabby. But if my writing what I'd actually written was substantially similar to what they'd written, then technically I've stolen something from a fan. That's that's plagiarism. That's not good. Um, so, okay, it's brilliant when someone engages with something you've written enough that they kind of work out where you're going and they get there. That's that's amazing. That means that you've really, really made a connection. But on the other hand, you need to have hand on your heart, be able to say honestly, I've never read anything that you've written. You really do. Yeah. So it's a little bit different if you've got a writing buddy and someone's like, I think this would be a really great scene. And they, they dash off a scene with your characters and send it to you and say, what do you think? Yeah. Because you've kind of got a mutual agreement there. You're obviously not going to be worrying about copyright infringement. Yeah, it's 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 a different thing if it's between friends. Um, so really close friends. And, you know, you've decided you're going to write in the same universe, for example. <laughs> I'd say be very, very careful. Make sure you agree these things in advance. Yeah. Um, next uh, is obviously copy other people's work. Yes. So yes, as we said before, steal like a writer or steal like an artist. So you might like the ideas and things, but you need to make them your own. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think it... Oh, God, I'm going to invoke Sarah J Maas here. Sorry. Um... I'm not accusing Sarah J. Mass of plagiarism, I'd mm. like to say. I am going to say that a lot of the ideas that come into her later Court of Thorns and Roses type books do bear more than a passing resemblance to some paranormal romance books that we know she's read because she's been open about reading them. Mm. And I don't feel that she has always changed things up enough to make those ideas her own. So it's not plagiarism because you can't copyright ideas in a literary term. Yeah. But it looks a tiny bit shabby. And I'm not necessarily someone who's really up in arms about this, but there is a community of people who are kind of like, no, she's stolen things. Um, it's it's not, she hasn't stolen like an artist in this respect is kind of what I, I think I'm getting at. Mm. I don't know enough about it, so I'm not going to comment on it. 
but yes. But yeah. Generally not a good idea to just lift and, you know, don't, don't do the thing that was done to Nora Roberts where you literally nick whole chunks of her paragraphs and things, paste them into your own book and just change the names, okay? That's not okay. Yeah. You will end up in court. Yeah, it's not, not a good idea. Uh, okay, um, th- other things we're not allowed to do. Defame another's character. When in doubt, make it fiction. So if you were writing about someone in a book... Mm-hmm. Um, even if, you know, unless you can substantially prove that someone acts in the way that you are portraying them as acting and think about what actually constitutes evidence, because if you just say it, that's hearsay, that's not actually evidence. Yeah. Um, make it fiction instead. In fact, don't just take a character and rip them off from someone in your real life. (laughs) You can use aspects of it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Next is brand tarnishing. Yeah, again, this is one of those things where there, there's a grey area. There's not been a court case that's kind of proved as the example. But let's say you're writing about a character who had a real thing about trainers and they were always wearing Reeboks. Now, Reebok might be quite happy for you to mention Reebok trainers um, 90 times in your book. But because that's free advertising for them and people are like oh Reeboks are they in fact are Reeboks even still in business I have no idea I have no idea but technically someone else another brand Nike maybe might not like that at all because you're watering down their brand by associating it with zombie hunting or something Mm. that's a very loose way of putting it so that this is a grey area if you're unsure, just change it to, you know, make up a brand. You know, you're a writer, you can make something up. Yeah, the it's amount like of you... Wackdonalds and stuff like that. Yep. <laughs> or, or Burger Prince or stuff. <laughs> Honestly, if a brand is so well known, you're unlikely to water it down. Yeah. Like, you know, McDonald's and Burger King and things like that always get mentioned in Stephen King books, Dairy Queen. And it's kind of like, yeah, actually, that's part of world building because those things are actually there. But yeah. he's not sort of mentioning them 90 times in a book. And if you think about the size of his books, it's, mm. it's not watering it down. Yeah. I definitely don't go, oh, yeah, the Nikes and mention them. So like, say you're writing about serial killers. The serial killer only ever wears Nikes. Well, technically, you're associating serial killing with Nike. And Nike might not take kindly to that. Yeah. Uh, finally, uh, write on controversial topics without due care, consideration and the consultation of a legal team. I'm deadly serious about this. Mm. Um, it's not that you can't write on controversial topics, but they need to be within. They need to be topics that belong to everyone. So what you might need to be careful is if you're talking about certain religious aspects. And I would genuinely say consult a legal team because let's what if you're not part of that religion or what if you you know you're deliberately writing about something that's very sensitive yeah at at best you're going to really offend people in the community at worst you're going to end up like salman rushdie with uh, a fatwa put on you by the ayatollah yeah so be very very careful we're not saying like don't write what you want to write don't have an opinion on things but be very careful about certain aspects of it and check you know, this is one of those sensitivity issues that is, is actually really important. Yeah, absolutely. So, on that note... <laughs> <laughs> on that note. <laughs> I think we are finished up for 
the day with our uh, house cleaning uh, episode, <laughs> getting the house <laughs> clean. Um, we'd love to know what you guys think. Do you think we've missed out on anything? Do you disagree? Or you, do you agree with us? Have you found this helpful? Please let us know. Remember, you can get in touch with us via our Facebook, Tumblr, or Twitter, both individually or through the Dissecting Dragons pages. Now, before we go, it is time for our Dissecting Dragons recommendation of the week. And this week, I am going to recommend a rather sweet anime, which is airing at the moment. You can watch it on Crunchyroll for free. Uh, on what, sorry? On Crunchyroll. What's Crunchyroll? It's a it's an anime uh, streaming site, um, an official one. Oh, okay. Um, and the anime is called Spy X Family. Now it's set, uh, it's sort of magic realism. It is set in an alternative kind of like 1900s, sort of 1930s, 40s sort of world. And the story basically follows a spy who um, basically is trying to prevent a war between two countries. And to do that, he needs to get close to the leader of, um, of of another country's kind of political party. And the only way that he can get close to that leader is through um, the leader's kid. And to do that, he needs to get a child of his own enroll them into a school and basically pretend to be their their father and what happens is that essentially it is the story of this spy he ends up adopting a little girl who has psychic powers so she can read minds so she realizes that he's a spy and she thinks this is amazing but she doesn't want to tell him that she's psychic because she thinks that he'll abandon her if he knows and then they have to find a mother figure and they meet a woman who is actually an assassin <laughs> and okay none and the little girl who's psychic knows that her mother is an assassin and her father is a spy and they're all pretending to be a family together and somehow accidentally becoming a family as well so it's like marriage of convenience um family of convenience uh to the brim so i think you'd actually enjoy it jules in that way okay it is funny it's charming um and the only a few episodes are out so far so it is airing um so new episodes every week i really do recommend it um i think it is really rather rather sweet okay cool and on that note guys we will say thanks very much for listening and we'll catch you guys next week Yeah, thanks and goodbye. Bye! You've been listening to Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast. You can follow our podcast at podbean.com or from iTunes. For more information, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash dissectingreaders or check out our author websites at jaironside.com and madelinevaughan.com Please note, no dragons were harmed during the making of this podcast.